really hope you enjoyed the Thanksgiving weekend. We've got some players in the Ontario Hockey League giving thanks for some entry-level contracts. We've got firsts or firsts again and lasts to cover this week and so much more. My name's Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. That guy over there, Dan Mahar on Twitter at Dan Mahar, just like the name says. And it's been a bit of a, a weird week, Dan, two weeks into this Ontario Hockey League regular season and some real meat on the bone as we dive into this week's episode. So let's let's go to Flint first. And I don't know how surprised you were, but I'll put myself in the category as very surprised to learn that Ted Dent was no longer the head coach of the Firebirds. Yeah, I, I am too. Like, this is really early for a coach dismissal and certainly did not think Ted Dent was on the hot seat. But I mean, Flint has had some off ice issues over time and and you never know what's what's happening. To me, to have something happen this quickly, you have to wonder what was happening behind the scenes. And I think on the ice, clearly what it came down to is not only were, were the Firebirds losing, but they weren't even competitive. And I think to have that home opener just be an embarrassing blowout to what should be a lower tier team in front of your, your home fans. That's a, a really bad sign, a red flag, if you will. Um, so, but I'm, I'm still shocked at, at how quickly this went down. So you said an interesting word there, and this is one of the really interesting parts of this story for me. You said dismissal, which is the first thing I thought. And I think we all thought two games in yes, awful games. I think we touched on it last week. You lose 11-3 on the road. You come home and lose 8 nothing. So not a great opening weekend for the Flint Firebirds. 19-3, they're outscored. And absolutely an embarrassment on home ice in their opener there. But nobody has used the word dismissal or firing or anything like that. At the same time, nobody also has used the word resignation. So, and if you... If you read the release from the team, you get the, uh, and anybody that's worked in any corporate organization in their lives understands the best of luck in their future endeavors email or memo that goes out. I've read it more times than I care to in my life. And that's the language that was used. We wish Ted best of luck in his future endeavors. So that does sound like what you said, but nobody used the word dismissal. Nobody used the word resignation. And that, to me, just leaves so many questions. Again, as bad as the start was, it's two games in. You just went through. Ted Dent last season became the winningest coach in Firebirds franchise history. I know it's not a long history for that franchise, but still the winningest coach. Ted Dent, arguably, was the reason that the Flint Firebirds just set a record number of players being drafted into the National Hockey League this past summer. Tristan Bartucci, Nathan Day, Colson Petrie, and Ethan Hay. I mean, how does that in any way signal that the guy's not getting the job done? And again, two games. Frankly, if if this is on your mind, do it in the summer. I, I don't know. Anyway, it's just... it. It leaves me asking a lot of questions, but specific to nobody said dismissed, nobody said relieved of duties, nobody said resigned, although you do get that language that so many of us love to hate, best of luck in your future endeavors. Yikes, Flint, yikes. Yeah, it's an interesting point, 
you make Mike about the language there and and you know I read into it as probably out of respect for Ted Dent what he has done for Flint and rescued them from some hard times they didn't necessarily want to make it sound like he's being turfed after two games but it's also why I reference the things going on behind the scenes because you're right Mike that nothing about this makes logical sense if you commit to a coach for a season you're going to get more than two games a lot can happen. We know Colson Petrie and and Hayes were not yet back from, from their tryouts. So there was some players missing. Any coach gets more rope than that. Um, but on the other side, you say, well, maybe this was Dent deciding to walk away. Well, why would he commit all the training camp and all the exhibition season only to call it quits after two games? It didn't go well. So I'm sure there's much more to this story. Um, discussions be happening behind the scenes. Maybe, maybe his heart wasn't in it. Maybe his head wasn't in it. Maybe... Uh, who knows, but uh, interesting wording is definitely, uh, <laughs> I, I did notice as well. Yeah. And considering where the Flint Firebirds are at in their cycle, likely taking a bit of a step back this season. Uh, I don't know. And I can also tell you from having been in Flint on the opening weekend and talking to Ted Dent, he seemed to be in a good place. Not that he would have any reason to indicate to me that there's trouble behind the scenes or he was thinking of leaving, but there was certainly no indication and I didn't read anything into the words that were spoken between us that would have suggested that a move like this was imminent. Nonetheless, Paul Fleisch, I'm sorry, Paul, I'll get your name right as we move forward. Former Brampton Battalion moves over to take over as the uh, head coach now with the Flint Firebirds. Okay, from Flint, let's shift over to the Eastern Conference and the other big story, but you might have missed it. I only caught this and it was kind of interesting to me, too. I only caught this online because the Barry Colts released a statement in response to an article written by Barry Ward. And I should probably be careful about calling it an article. Barry Ward is a longtime Barry area journalist, uh, decades of experience. He writes an opinion piece now called Fair Comment. So articles slash reporting versus columns slash editorial are different things. Nonetheless, Barry Ward writes an editorial and opinion piece, and the Barry Colts decide this requires a response. And team owner Howie Campbell signs the response, which was rather lengthy. I think if you were counting words, the response might have been twice as long, double the number of words as the initial fair comment piece written by Barry Ward. But the gist of it is that there are some financial discrepancies or irregularities between the Barry Colts and the city of Barry, which is supposed to share in revenues from both advertising and concessions at the Sadlin Arena. And there are discrepancies as reported by Barry Ward and then the response from the Barry Colts. Uh, Dan, what do you make of all of this? <laughs> well, I mean, first, point to touch on is kind of something you noticed about the length of of the response from the Barry Colts and I mean the first thought that crossed my mind might be thou doth protest too much uh it seemed like a disproportionate response to what Barry Ward had written uh I was I actually admit I read the rebuttal first and then went back and looked into the article that Barry Ward had written and I was actually surprised at kind of how non-controversial the initial piece was now there was there were certainly some suggestions in there that obviously Howie Campbell and the, the team took an exception to about maybe not reporting some revenues, potentially uh, cheating the city was kind of maybe the inference there. So I get why there was a 
a stronger response, but uh, it was certainly a fulsome response. I believe I saw the words uh, disappointed in there. Uh, there were there were a few terms that that the Barry Colts and Howie Campbell used to reply to this that suggested they were very very disappointed with the reporting and felt that that Mr. Ward should have maybe checked with them first to get some of these things cleared up. And there was there was also some reference in there to just how things went during the pandemic. And I think all these teams had kind of different methodologies for how they dealt with the pandemic and different accounting. And I think some of that got washed up in the uncertainty and mystery around the pandemic, which was kind of suggested in the rebuttal. But yeah, it's a, it's a puzzling case, Mike. And I, I thought that that was quite a, uh, a bombastic reply. So I was exactly like you on this. I saw first the Barry Colts response to the recent media article or whatever it was called. And I read the response. And then, quite frankly, I couldn't wait to read the initial report because I thought if I'm getting a response like this, I'm like I'm rubbing my hands together thinking this is going to be awesome. And I'm not trying to disrespect Barry Ward here, but I'm with you. The the original column uh, or the response was very much, in my opinion, disproportionate to the original column itself. So then my antennae go up a little bit. So if I can, because... I've also, like Barry Ward, spent uh, several decades working in, in media. If you don't mind, can I just put on my hat here as a, as a media guy? And I'll, I'll start with, with Barry Ward and his fair comment piece. Sure, I, I think in a perfect world, and, and maybe Barry would even admit this, you, you do seek at least comment from the Barry Colts organization when you're reporting on something the likes of which Barry reported these financial irregularities, these discrepancies. But here's the thing. It's not like Barry Ward is just quoting or reporting information from some random Joe or Jane on the street. Again, please bear with me. I'm a, I'm a media guy and I'm a bit of a political junkie as well, especially municipal politics. And what, what Barry Ward is reporting on is a report that's coming before Barry City Council. Like this is stuff that's that's prepared by staff at the city of Barry. So it's my long way of saying it's an authoritative source here. Yes, you could seek comment from Howie Campbell and the Barry Colts for sure, but the bottom line is as the city of Barry and the Barry Colts renegotiate their financial arrangements, which was the point of Barry Ward's article. I have to keep saying Barry Ward because I don't want to get mixed up with City of Barry, but the point of Barry Ward's column was just that. With these discrepancies currently being negotiated or being figured out, it's going to be really interesting as they renegotiate the overall agreement between team and city. Fair comment, just like the title of the column suggests. So it's he's coming, Barry Ward is from a very authoritative source. These are reports prepared by intelligent, well-paid staff people at the city of Barrie. And look, it's easy for me to say when it's not my money. And we know that there's not huge money in every market in the Ontario Hockey League for sure. But if you add up the numbers that Barry Ward cites in his column, we're talking in and around $120,000. Now it's made clear a couple of times in that column, these numbers are likely on the low side because of the information that hasn't been shared or obtained, 
because of these discrepancies, et cetera. But we're talking 120K. And again, recognizing the revenue we're talking about in the OHL, sure, that that's a lot. It's a lot more money than I have, but it's not like we're talking in the millions here. So you start adding all this up. And, and again, I'm going to go to what sounded very much to me like a disproportionate response on the part of the Barry Colts organization. And I'm going to take you way back in the day to when really the only source of information or media was the print media. And the old joke from back then, you've probably heard this before, don't get into a pissing contest with a reporter because the reporter buys ink by the barrel, right? So you might get a soundbite when radio was first coming out, or you might get a quote in the newspaper, but a columnist gets all this space and they will just keep going and going and going. And they have more ink than you have airtime for, right? So that's, don't get into the pissing contest. Obviously today there's no ink being purchased by the barrel and all of this shows up at buryToday.com, an online publication. So Howie Campbell and the Barry Colts figure, we're not buying ink by the barrel anymore. All we need is bandwidth and we can respond. But I think the point of not getting into a pissing contest still stands. Again, maybe I'm biased because I'm in the media. I just don't think you're helping your cause in any way by engaging in what is now a very public pissing contest. It's $125,000. Friggin' figure it out, guys. But this, to me, if I were just offering my guidance from a PR perspective, my advice would have been take a breath, take a step back, let Barry Ward write whatever he wants to write. It's not worth it. Clearly, the Barry Colts feel differently. And now I'm down off my soapbox. <laughs> well, yeah, but basically we're on the same page here, Mike. Whenever you have an emotional response to anything, the best business is just give it some time, wait till the emotions die down, then reply rationally. And I think you hit on the piece about journalism and, and how it's conducted. And I think, yes, on the surface, it's always good. A story comes your way, check all your sources, talk to uh, various sides, and then try and compile it. There's a slight nuance here, a slight difference when you're reporting on city matters and council matters. And I think when you find a lot of reporters doing that, will uh, be first on the news coming out of council, emanating from council, and often they'll just bring forth something that caught their attention at council. Uh, so it's not a necessarily a situation saying, well, this, this involved other parties. I should talk to them too. No, it's, I'm reporting on the information that was presented at council. And in, in a lot of ways, it's maybe Barry Ward calling out the city staff or the reporting more than the Barry Colts saying, you know, something didn't quite add up here. This is the information being presented publicly by our local municipal government. What am I missing? What's not adding up or, and being first to, to, spotlight this for the public and say i noticed this something's up here we'll follow up further uh, but yeah obviously howie campbell and the barry colts said that and felt they were being called out for some some hinky uh or mismanagement or whatever you want to call it and just emotionally pounced so you're right there was probably a news cycle there was going to pass pretty quickly with the the fairly low dollar amounts but uh i think that's the dynamic we had at play here is that uh barry ward's pulling some of this out of the reporting municipally and the team just really took it as a shot and said, no, we got to get on top of this quickly. That's some missing context from what I said, because certainly in the context of a city's budget, Barrie, London, Ottawa, Owen Sound, $120,000 is like the proverbial drop in the bucket. May mean more certainly to the Barry Colts, but great point there. And I'll also to say, again, just 
being clear about my bias, I have been that reporter on more occasions than I can count going over a council agenda. Yes, I read these reports to find information that I think might be interesting. And frankly, if there was such an agreement, well, there kind of is. If I just bring it home to the city of Kitchener, forgive me, but uh, the, the Kitchener Rangers had an interest-free loan from the city of Kitchener to complete its renovation. And, you know, this goes back a, a decade now and, you know, this and that. And, and there's a repayment schedule. If there were discrepancies in that and I came across it in a report, you can bet I would find that interesting enough, I think, to share. Everything's been just fine as far as the Kitchener Rangers and the city of Kitchener are concerned. It makes me wonder, Dan, if, and it, it frankly suggests to me, Howie Campbell doesn't care too much for Barry Ward and maybe vice versa. I know nothing about the political dynamic in Barry. I know nothing about the sports slash political dynamic in Barry. But this suggests to me that maybe one party doesn't like the other, or maybe they don't like each other. I haven't the foggiest, but when you see this story and the way it's developed, that's what it suggests to me. Oh, completely. Let's not make any mistake about it. There are biases everywhere. And if anyone ever felt they were not treated fairly in the past by a particular journalist, then that's going to bring the emotions to the surface anytime those two come together again in any form. So, and let's face it, like, I'm not indicting journalists across the board. There's lots of terrific ones that do their job really well, but there are some that do have biases or picks on people and, and aren't always fair. So you can see how this happens. Uh, and I don't know the history between Barry Ward and Howie Campbell or the Barry Colts, but, but clearly it ruffled some feathers, the reporting he did on council. Real quick journalists, their histories, their record, their integrity, et cetera. So we're, releasing this episode just after the Thanksgiving weekend, which in the region of Waterloo is also the a big weekend with uh, KW Oktoberfest, a huge festival. If you've never been here before for Oktoberfest, you should get here sometime for it because it's awesome. That includes the Thanksgiving Day Oktoberfest parade. I participated in that parade. And all of a sudden I'm hearing somebody yelling out, Farwell, Farwell, boo, boo. And I'm like, what the heck? Turn around, friggin' Ryan Payette. Ryan Payette of the <laughs> London Free Press booing me. And I'm just out there trying to do some good. And they love the guy. Love the guy. But if you ever see the online back and forth between he and I now, you know, guy booed me publicly in a parade. Son of a gun. Um, I just want to touch on one more thing. <laughs> That's all in good fun. He really did. But he was doing it in good fun. I'm not angry at him. I thought it was a funny aside based on what Dan said. I just want to touch on one more thing, though. With this uh, Barry Colts, Barry Today, Barry Ward, oh my goodness, for the love of Barry's uh, situation, because it reminded me of something that I thought odd, and now I think even odder based on this story. So last season, when we did a game in Barry, I'm not, I don't want to get on Howie's bad side, because next thing you know, there's going to be a response to this podcast, but I'm just going to tell it like it is. Uh, the media room offerings left a little to be desired there were cupcakes like literally somebody had brought in like six or eight there might have been a dozen cupcakes like it's dinner time I, I, all i ask for really is like if i could get a piece of pizza or, or a sandwich and a cup of coffee but it was just maybe it was a bad night in berry i'm not trying to rag on them but that's just the truth i had a, an opportunity to have a cupcake i passed because i wanted some dinner so I just decided, well, it's going to be one of those nights. So before I went on the air at the Sadlin Arena, I went to the concession to grab a bite to eat. And then I, 
I waited in line and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get on the air. It's getting pretty close to airtime, but I gotta get some food in me. I'd like, you know, whatever. I get to the front of the line and I pull out my debit card and she says, Oh, sorry, cash only. I'm like, excuse me, hang on. Like I just got offered a cupcake in the media room and now I need cash in my pocket to buy like whatever I just, or, are you seriously cash only? Well, there's a, there's an ATM wherever. And listen, if you don't know this about me, I am as cheap as the day is long. And there is no way in H E double hockey sticks, a I'm withdrawing from an ATM. That's not my own. Cause I don't want to pay the service charge to my bank and B definitely not some random, you know, like the ones you see in bars. Cause there's a service charge on the ATM plus the service charge from your bank. This is all just a little bit of background on me. Bottom line is I got nothing to eat that night, whatever, woe was me. But it struck me as odd that in 2023, you can't use your debit card to buy something at the concession stand in a hockey arena. And this came out in Barry Ward's column. And, you know, it's weird. I'm, I'm sorry for Colts fans. Like, clearly you, you get used to this, I guess, and you take cash with you to the game. But, Dan, this is not just me, right? Cash only. In a hockey arena in 2023. Like, that's just downright weird. Yeah, well, first of all, I think maybe the cupcakes were them trying to send you a subtle message, but uh, Have no, I, I, I think <laughs> I think in the column. So you're right, absolutely. In 2023, I know so many people that don't even know what cash is anymore. So sure. they'd, they'd starve if they found cash. Uh, you mentioned it was referenced in the article, and I believe, yeah, Howie Campbell pointed out that only in certain segments of the concourse, because they're temporary stands, they didn't have the electronic setup, et cetera, et cetera, for anything beyond cash. But at various other points in the arena, they had cards yeah, available. In, so, in the private suites, you have to be, you have to yeah. be a high roller or you have to be a member of the hockey elite. Anyway, I'm zipping, zipping. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. I don't disagree. It is weird. Well, I, I would say it is self-defeating more as much as weird because you're turning away a lot of business. Okay, let's move on from that. And we'll just leave it for you to figure out how you feel about all of it. And if you haven't read, honestly, it's uh, it's some pretty interesting soap opera-esque drama two weeks into the OHL season. Uh, it was a great weekend, certainly, in the city of Brantford. After almost 40 years, the Ontario Hockey League is back in Brantford. I think Dan and I have made clear that we feel pretty strongly that OHL hockey is going to remain in Brantford. Not only have they renovated the existing civic center, but there's already talk about maybe building something new that would be perfectly OHL sized, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's no disrespect to Hamilton. It's just the writing on the wall, but what a comeback as the Bulldogs get their first win of the season. And I think, I mean, if this fan base wasn't jazzed before the opening game this past weekend, they are certainly in. I saw lots of pictures from fans that were at that game, and I I think Brantford has them hooked. The Bulldogs have them hooked on OHL hockey again. Yeah, well, you saw the emotion when Florian Jacki scored the first goal in that building at the OHL level in nearly 40 years, and he, saw, he reacted like he had just scored an overtime goal in the playoffs mm-hmm. for good reason. Um, followed it up by getting kicked out for a slew foot, but... That aside, uh, you could just see the emotion from from him scoring that goal and from the rest of his team saying, you know, we're back. They've clearly embraced the city. The city's clearly embraced them. And that's that's a great story for the OHL. 
Uh, Paul Fixter was telling me we had some time on the road this past weekend, and we were just reminiscing about the Brantford Alexanders, of course, the last OHL team to play there. And uh, Fixie said, that's a great name, eh? Alexanders. But, yeah, the Telephone City and Alexander Graham Bell, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, I have fond memories. The franchise wasn't there too long, but it played its last game in April of 1984. And I don't know. I think it's the right size market community is different than it was back in the early 1980s but i'm just i'm happy for the city i'm happy for the fans of the bulldogs that really got themselves a treat this past weekend yeah and i'm happy for the bulldogs i mean when you have a full building the players themselves feed off that and i think that it's going to pay dividends as the season goes on that's a, a younger team that we haggled over where to put them in the predictions but i think a full building and an enthusiastic crowd actually might bump you a slot or two in the standings. So I think it's just a, it's a, it's a good marriage. If you think about the way the Bulldogs franchise has been operating of late championships in 18 and then again in 22. And now you just mentioned this young Bulldogs team. Look, it's, it's harder than it sounds on paper, but this fan base getting this team at this stage in its development may very well be planning something in 2026 or so because i don't know just matt turk as the gm who took over for steve steos certainly seems to be has the team on that same trajectory again lots of things have to fall into place but wouldn't that be nice for brantford as well oh absolutely i think it's yeah it's like you said it's, it's a good story all around and I know Steve Steos moved on to the Ottawa Senators, but I know his uh, paw prints aren't too far away from this team and won't be for a while. And having having some of the connections that that team's going to have and the support they have, I think, yeah, you're right. They're, they can start eyeing some big things in a year or two. So we were just talking about how weird it is to not be able to use uh, a debit card or a credit card at a concession stand in a hockey arena in 2023. How's this for a little bit of weirdness too? I mentioned that the last game that the Brantford Alexanders played last OHL Brantford game in the city of Brantford goes back to April 8th, 1984. But that wasn't the last OHL game played in Brantford. That was the last Alexander's game. The last OHL game played in Brantford prior to this past weekend was on April the 25th of 1984. And that was a playoff game and, and a meaningful game seven between the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds and the Kitchener Rangers. And the reason the game was played in Brantford, like try to wrap your head around this game seven of a playoff series. And if you're any fan of the history of this league, you know that in the eighties, the Sioux Greyhounds and the Kitchener Rangers had an awesome rivalry. It seemed like every year or every other, they were meeting in the playoffs. So you're taking a game seven that's supposed to be played in Kitchener and moving it 40 ish, 45 minutes away to Brantford. Why? because the home show was taking place at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium and the home show got the priority day, date. So the Hounds and the Rangers play in Brantford. Rangers win the game on a game-winning goal by Wayne Presley, who scored 63 that year for Kitchener. But just put that aside for a second. Could you imagine, Dan, today in any OHL market, the home show bumping a playoff game and, and the playoff game being relocated to a neighboring community as if. 
Well, maybe that's why those uh, twin pads attached to the auditorium in Kitchener got built quickly after that to house the home show. So it never happened again. But but yeah, this day and age, you could imagine a, a GM throwing a conniption to have lose the actual home ice advantage for a game seven in the playoffs. Something crazy like that. Like if it's something out of their control, like the ice plant breaks or something, maybe. But for a home show, I'm sure there were some furious uh, words being exchanged behind the scenes because even moving down the road to Brantford, with how well Sioux fans travel, I'm not sure that was really a home game for Kitchener anymore. Yeah, <laughs> such a good point. And I'll tell you, it just blows my mind to think of that. Uh, I mentioned Wayne Presley with the winning goal in that game seven. Rangers would go on to win it seven to three. Presley's goal uh, broke a 3-3 tie. Kitchener would go on. That was the year Kitchener was hosting the Memorial Cup in 84. And it was their third trip to the championship in four years. They were there in 81 lost they were there in 82 and one they hosted in 84 but they actually lost that ohl final to the ottawa 67s and so ottawa goes in as the ohl champs rangers got some revenge by beating the 67s in the round robin seven to two ottawa comes back and wins the memorial cup that year also over kitchener seven to two go figure that was also the year just uh, for you hockey historians uh mario lemieux played for Laval and was in that Memorial Cup. Uh, Laval lost every game in the round, Robin, didn't move on. Lemieux that year, I talked about Wayne Presley's 63 goals for the Kitchener Rangers that year. 130 for uh, Mario Lemieux. Not points, goals. Goals that year. I miss that era of hockey so much, eh? Like, can you imagine? That's ridiculous. Well, and just a little side note on Marilyn you too. I remember a lot of the, the narratives after that Memorial Cup tournament was, oh, this kid's nothing special. He looked lazy and unengaged at the Memorial Cup. Well, he turned out okay, I think. And, and you know, Marilyn you might have been the, the laziest fast skater I've ever seen. I think it had something to do with the mechanics and his size because he'd look like he was just loafing up the ice, barely caring, and yet he's pulling away from a guy whose legs are pumping. So a little little context and perspective was probably needed there. <laughs> he might have also been a little bit slower or seemed that way because of the two guys hanging off his back as he made his way to the net. There's that too. Yeah. That, that's <laughs> a factor as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one more quick note before we skip along here. When you mentioned Steve Steos, Ottawa, probably one of the worst kept secrets in the National Hockey League because as soon as he left the Ontario Hockey League and went back to the NHL ranks, he's a good friend of Michael and Lauer, which just made me think of, so and Lauer, of course, the new owner in Ottawa, or at least the face of, owns the Brantford Bulldogs. And we learned this week, thanks to some reporting by Jim Parker and the Windsor Star, that the Windsor Spitfires ownership group is also involved in that purchase with Michael Andlauer. And we'd also known prior, so too is Rocco Tulio and the Oshawa General. So we have three OHL interests in Brantford, Windsor, and Oshawa connected to the Ottawa Senators ownership group. That's kind of fun. So we thought we'd throw it in. <laughs> well, yeah. And we all know Michael Anlier had a minority share in the Montreal Canadiens before he bought the Ottawa Senators, had to sell it. So these these connections are not new. They they happen all over. And I think it's just a good thing with is firming up those ties between the OHL and the NHL. All right. You know who's having no fun right now? At least I don't think so. Uh, that'd be Stan Butler. We also said goodbye to a long-serving official in this league over this past weekend. And, yeah, I'm going to call him a legend. Gets recognized in Oshawa. Plus, our prospect of the week still to come. Oh, my goodness gracious. We have lots left to talk about on this episode of the OHL Podcast. 
Okay, Dan, just before we get to that guy that's probably not having any fun right now this season so far, uh, let's talk about Kevin Hastings, who this past Saturday uh, was recognized by the league in advance of his final game. More than a thousand games patrolling the lines in this league. And if I could just add, the crew that night in London was Hastings and Dustin McCrank working the lines and Sean Reed and Jason Faced as the referees. Who got any good officials anywhere else in the O on that <laughs> night? Well, that's an all-star crew if ever I heard one, but Kevin Hastings hangs him up at least as a linesman. He's going to move into a, a role in the league's front office with uh, the officiating team. Yeah, what a, what a great career, great story uh, Kevin Hastings has been. It's going to be weird not seeing that number 61 in stripes out on the ice for for the coming years. But I think the fact that he's moving into a development role is great. I remember last year on a couple occasions, the OHL brought in, in one case, a couple female officials, another case, a couple crossover officials and, and saw Hastings working with them in, in just little subtle tips and, and supportive gestures. And I think you probably can't have a better mentor in stripes than Kevin Hastings. The guy loved what he did. And when you bring that much passion to your role, uh, it's hard to it's hard to start picking nits and faults. I mean, everybody has their off nights. But one thing that you'll hear, I think, across the board when it comes to Kevin Hastings and the way he approached the game, he was very good at communicating. He'd communicate with the benches. He'd communicate with the players. And as a linesman, I mean, if a play was offside, somebody had to tag up or you could hear that guy throughout the arena if you're listening. He So the communication was obvious down on the ice. But certainly even well above, you could hear that guy barking things out. You'd often see him because he's based out of the region of Waterloo. He's helping out at training camps, other things that are going on around the community. And he is, he's going to be a really strong mentor for the Ontario Hockey League and up and coming official. So it's, it's hard to imagine. And, and frankly, Dan, if, if the guy's body wasn't beaten up as much as it's been beaten up over the years, he just had a, I think it was a second on the same knee surgery. I mean, He'd still be doing it. You know he'd still be doing it, but the body, uh, the, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak in this case. Yeah, and I know uh, just as a final parting note on that, I know that he agreed to officiate the inner squad games that Kitchen Rangers had at their uh, development camp in August. And as he came off the ice, I heard him remark to someone that he was dying, just dying, not sure how he's still standing. So, uh, but it just speaks to the character and connections he has in the in the loop that he he was asked to do that and and agreed in in the condition he was in. But uh, great career, Kevin, and congratulations. So the Flint Firebirds, the Niagara Ice Dogs. I mean, Flint maybe in the way they've gone zero three. We already talked about the really tough opening weekend. Niagara probably not all that surprising, although in the first week we thought more competitive uh, than we might have thought them to be, and the eerie otters again a team kind of coming back up but i don't know i own three is a little bit surprising to me and they had to come from behind on saturday night they got a lead late but then owen sound would come back to even and win it in overtime owen three start for the eerie otters as well well mike when we do the predictions it's not a question of if i'll be proven a moron it's who's going <laughs> to prove me a moron and Erie Otters were my dark horse in the West. And it's way too early, I know, to write them off. Uh, but I think when I was predicting them, I think I called them to come fifth as a mid-pack team, as a dark horse. Loved their offense. Uh, Malcolm Spence. Uh, you know I love Kerry Terrance. They brought in uh, top-end import picks. They, they 
they looked to me on paper like a team that could do some damage. What concerned me was, are they going to keep the puck out of the net? Uh, the back end looked a little loose to me. Lalonde has been up and down in net. So he had some question marks there about whether or not they could prevent goals. And I think the early returns are that those were well-founded. And unlike Flint, who can make a coaching change, try to make things happen. Well, here he just brought in a very high-profile coach last year. So it's not like that's in the offing right now. And that's a coach who loves control, trapping, slowing the pace down, keeping it low scoring. And he is not going to be loving what he's seeing so far. Yeah. I'm with you on the horses that the Erie Otters have. And, you know, every reason to maybe think if they get a chance to gallop and and find their stride, who knows what the Erie Otters can do. Look, they've got 65 games left to play. Nobody's sounding an alarm bell here. It just, it stands out as curious, particularly to your point around preventing goals those Guelph Storm were galloping all over the Erie Otters this past weekend in an eight nothing victory give Erie credit for coming back from behind to it you know I'm sure Otters fans would have loved them to win that game versus Owen Sound goes to overtime Erie ends up with the point but also in that game and or going back to the Guelph game we have to touch on this too Bruce McDonald got a one game suspension uh it was a a five-minute major for boarding with about half a minute to go. I'm going to be honest with you, Dan, and and you know I'm always on the side of player safety. I think the league has done a really good job with this, but to me, it looked like Bruce McDonald got uh, a one-game suspension for finishing his check. Yeah, I'll take a slightly different take on this because uh, I know the league is very strict on justice, and... I don't think the hit in itself was was extremely bad or, or terribly against rules. I think with the blindside rules that the league has now, it's questionable any of these things that come in from the side. I think what I didn't like about it, and I surely what the league didn't like about it, was the time of game to have such an aggressive hit on a vulnerable player. And it's not that it was necessarily a dirty hit. He finished a check along the boards. But player was clearly vulnerable with that type of momentum. You see the head smashing into the glass. You know bad things can happen there. And it's to me, it's one of those things that no Bruce McDonald, you're not, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. You probably don't deserve a lengthy suspension, but it's kind of one of those, buddy, there's 30 seconds left in eight goal game. Let's not try and kill anyone. This isn't the time to send those kind of messages. You want to rub them out, fine, but let's not try and send them through the boards at that point in the game. That's that's my take on that one. The interesting thing is the game was just seven, nothing at that point, And the storm would get one on the ensuing power play to make it eight, nothing. I hear where you're coming from. And in that context, I'll grant you that the one game seems to be about right sized for suspension. My problem is, and the older I get, the older school I get, what if you don't finish that check? I, I hear where you're coming from in terms of the severity of it, I suppose, but every coach everywhere, whether it's Stan Butler behind that eerie bench or Dan Mahar, because I know you coach kids that are younger. If, if, if you don't finish that check, what's the message you come back? I want, I want to see you finish your check. Don't peel. I don't know. So that's just to me, you know, if you're peeling off at a situation like that, it, it's a change to the way the game is played. And I know this isn't the first time, but I'm just, I, I'm not so comfortable with that. It's a physical game. Come on now. No, you're not, you're not wrong. And you're absolutely right. There are coaches out there that say, you know, finish your check, show me a care, play to the final buzzer, show me something. You don't want you soft pedaling the last few minutes. Like you don't care. Having said that, you know what I would say if I was a coach and saw that in that situation is where was that 20 minutes ago? Where was that 30 minutes ago? 
Like we just got our, our butts handed to us. We got embarrassed. If there was a little more of that earlier, now it doesn't matter. Now it just looks petty when you're doing with 30 seconds left down seven. That's what I'd be saying to my player. Sure, finish your checks, play to the buzzer, show me a care. But come on, let's not bring this out in the, at the tail end of a game where it just looks like maybe questionable sportsmanship. Uh, Brady Stonehouse of the Ottawa 67s. The 67s only one win through their first three games of this OHL season, but he's got reason to smile. He signs his entry-level contract, the old ELC, with the Edmonton Oilers and the Sudbury Wolves, who are doing what many predicted they would do as this season began. They're a force in the East in the early going. Quentin Musty signs his ELC with the San Jose Sharks. So we wanted to give a quick nod and congratulations to those young men as they get set for the next chapter. Obviously, they're still going to be playing in the Ontario Hockey League and they are a force right now for their respective teams, but it's always nice to see the kids take the next next step in their career. And, and a guy whose career in the Ontario Hockey League goes back more than four decades was honored with his number raised to the rafters in Oshawa this past weekend. Dave Andrachuk, former Oshawa general, gets recognized in a pregame ceremony. Yeah, it's kind of two two ends of the uh, spectrum there, right? A, a guy who came through the league, had a brilliant uh, career, often took a lot of flack for not being the best skater, but you don't score that many goals unless you're a really skilled hockey player. So great to see him honored and on the two ELCs. Of course, congratulations to those two players. Not a surprise at all in Quentin Musty, a top pick in the OHL draft, first round pick in the NHL draft. We knew that was coming. But for those that don't know Brady Stonehouse, he is one heck of a player. Flies a little under the radar in the OHL sometimes based on the talent that's been around him in Ottawa and some of the big names in the league. But Brady Stonehouse brings it pretty much every night. So I'm sure he showed that at camp, and that's why he walked away with a signature. It's a great point on Andrew Chuck as we kind of flip narratives here where, you know, maybe not the best skater, but what's the point of the game of hockey? It's to score goals, right? He had 58 in his draft year before he got selected into the National Hockey League. And he scored more than 600 in his pro career. Not a lot of guys can say that. Oh, that's phenomenal numbers. And I mean, I know people like to diminish things that optically maybe aren't aesthetically pleasing on the ice as, you know, the Pavel Bure flying through the team. And Andrew Chuck was more just a mountain of a man that would park himself in front of the net. But things aren't just banking in off his knees and back. He had wonderful hands, terrific shot great muscle memory and instinct for where the, the holes were and just a brilliant scorer. And uh, sometimes I hate to see that taken away from when people look at video and say, Oh yeah, look how slow that guy was. He wasn't, he was a heck of a player and uh, the stats kind of prove it. I should have, uh, I should have checked ahead of time and that's terrible. I, I glanced at his stats over the weekend. It's funny because I'm watching out of town scores and I'm like, why is the Oshawa game like so far behind? Oh, pregame ceremony. So I flipped through Anderchuk's uh stats on his db page and it's in the double digits anyway consecutive seasons with more than 30 goals scored and four of his final five seasons think about that four of his final five he scored 20 plus that's impressive and so more than 600 in his nhl career andrew chucks number nine gets raised to the rafters at tribute community center in oshawa along with uh, tony tanti's up there and hey Bobby Orr too, but not number four. He wore number two when he played in the Ontario Hockey League. So a little bit of trivia for you trivia nuts there. And uh, Oshawa tends to do these things really well. So 
good on them and good on Dave Anderchuk. Okay, let's um let's get on before we call it an episode to our prospects of the week. I wonder we didn't even talk about this ahead of time, Dan. We're probably going to be different, but we'll we'll see. You start us off. Who is your uh, prospect of the week this week? All right. Well, I made a last minute change, Mike. Mine is Ryan Payette based on him booing you at the parade. I think that kid's showing real uh real encouraging signs. So uh, but no, seriously, uh, we may have the same guy. I may start getting accused of, of having a Mississauga bias, but I couldn't go anywhere other than Ryerson Leanders this week, OHL goaltender of the week, but what a brilliant start he has had. 4-0, two shutouts, a one goals against average, 969 save percentage. And those are all world numbers. Obviously, they're not going to continue all season because no goalie could ever keep up that type of uh, a stat sheet. But what a brilliant start for Ryerson Leander's uh, 2006 birth, a second round pick to the Mississauga Steelheads. So two weeks in a row, I'm going to the Steelheads, but uh, I felt I had no choice because what a what a start he has had. Who Get ready. Got? As I go, I look further afield here. Get ready for Dan to go to Mississauga even more often next year when Porter Martone is NHL draft eligible. Let that sink in just because of the way his birthday falls. He's not even draft eligible this year and you've probably seen it, but if you haven't go check out the OHL's video highlights because many saying uh, Martone's goal this past weekend is already a candidate for goal of the year. It's early, but it's spectacular. My prospect of the week this week, recency bias notwithstanding is Zane Parekh. And, and I'm picking Zane Parekh because I mean, I got to see him in person, which always helps with my analysis, but obviously he plays the game of hockey. But when I'm, when I say, this is how I wanted to try to describe it. So work with me here. You know, when you, uh, you, you play a musical instrument or somebody plays another person, in other words, like they, they basically do what they want to you. That's what Zane Parekh is doing to the game of hockey. He doesn't play the game. He plays the game. And when he's on the ice, like it just, it, he, he had himself a four assist night when I saw him. So, but it, it, he, he's everywhere. Uh, at one point he's on the left point, then he's around in the far corner, then he's back at the, and every time he's on the ice, something is happening. And he's just a, a whirlwind of constant motion late in the game. Saginaw's up huge, but he tried to make a pass from behind his own net, standing flat-footed, to the opposing team's blue line. Didn't quite work, but it almost worked. But just the fact that he was thinking about it and he, anyway, he is something else. And so Zane Parekh, because he essentially is reinventing the game at the position. And it's just a lot of fun to watch. Enjoy him in Saginaw. He's going to be a key piece, obviously, says Captain Obvious of this team. But uh, Zane Parekh and his four assist performance versus Kitchener is my prospect of this week yeah great call mike and i think we're seeing that green up arrow beside his name for his nhl i mid first was last i saw him in most rankings and could even go up from there i think what scouts are looking to see the offense is obvious skating instincts shot everything off the charts but they're looking to see is can this kid also defend and maybe limit some of the risk in his game and i'm telling you from my viewings earlier this year there's an edge in his game doesn't shy away from the physical stuff at all has a little bite to his game and i'm sure the nhl scouts are going to love that so that green up arrow may continue all year with that kid 
we had a lot of meat on the bone in this episode. Uh, let's hope it continues this way. If any uh, organization and or owner wants to do something that's worth us talking about, feel free to do that. Any more coach uh, changes? We're still not sure. Dismissed, resigned, probably dismissed. Anyway, lots, lots for us to talk about this week, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I do want to make sure we change one thing moving forward, and that is multiple Ryan Payette mentions in the same episode. Like that's just like that's got to come to an end. Okay, I've got a reputation over here. We can't have this. <laughs> well, yeah, and and actually, if I am slightly disappointed in him at all, it's that there were no projectiles. It was all verbal. <laughs> so Ryan, work on this for the next time. Okay. I don't think his arm. Could it, like he doesn't have that kind of distance or accuracy. Uh, of course, you'll get another episode of the OHL podcast on Friday. And I am looking forward to this one selfishly and personally, because when I broke into the league, uh, this was the guy who was the president and general manager of the Guelph Storm. But it goes so much beyond that. A member of the Guelph Sports Hall of Fame, uh, the chair of the Board of Governors in the Ontario Hockey League when the expansion happened from 16 to 20 teams. Do you think he's got some stories about that? Oh, yes, he does. And as a former part owner of the Guelph Storm, how difficult was it when the ownership had to change hands to a corporation that didn't have its roots in the city of Guelph? So lots to talk about with this big-name guest, in my humble opinion, coming up on Friday. So we'll look forward to that. Dan, do you know, you probably already know who I'm talking about. I do. And it's, he's probably happy. He's a former Guelph store because their, uh, their number one center looks like he might have an extended stay in Boston. So you might, we might <laughs> yeah. so a lot going on in Guelph these days, but I'm really anxious for that, for that interview, Mike. Yeah. Good call. The storm playing so well, even without Matthew Poitra, who may very well get his nine games in with the Boston Bruins. Could be a talking point in the weeks ahead. All right. That guy over there is Dan Mahar. Find him on Twitter at Dan Mahar. My name, Mike Farwell on Twitter at Farwell underscore OHL. Hey, feel free to send us an email anytime. Okay. OHL podcast at rogers.com. Give us a like, subscribe, tell a friend about the OHL podcast. We come to you twice a week with all of the information you need to know about the greatest hockey league in the world. Your next episode comes out on Friday. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jag and Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.